Hey, this is Delitra. Hey, everybody. This is Angela. And you're listening to Nutrient Sisters, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn how to nourish your body and soul. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Nutrient Sisters. My name is Delitra, and as always, I'm here with my co-host Angela. I hope you guys have been enjoying this season as much as we have. So we're back with another exciting episode, and we have a special guest today with us on the podcast. I feel like this is the season of guests, and I'm I'm so excited to have all this knowledge. Come on to the uh, episodes. So today we're adding to the conversation about food insecurity and giving we're giving you the details on this project that I personally have been working on with our special guest. If you haven't listened to our previous episode, I believe that was in season one titled Cause of Death, your zip code, I highly encourage you to check it out to get some background on food insecurity, food deserts, food swamps, and exactly how your location has a direct effect on your health. So today, without further ado, we're joined by Lolita Jones. Lolita is a medical social coding consultant. Very fancy. I've never heard of this before. I've met Lolita. She is based in New York and she uses her medical coding skills to research and write rules for various health information management software programs. She holds a graduate certificate in healthcare data analytics. She is also the co founder of Population Health Analytics Association, Incorporated an organization that we're going to learn more about today. Thank you, Lolita, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yay. So can you tell us more about the uh, Population Health Analytics Association Incorporated and the work that you do there? Thank you. Well, yes, we're about, um, we're a little bit over a year old and I co-founded it um, back in 2020, really as a way to try to help address um, the the various social determinants of health that that are out there. You know the 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 places where people work, worship, um, play, um, all of those non-medical factors that actually have an impact on health. And our mission is really we're we're a nonprofit organization. And our mission is really to provide um, a community forum and knowledge-based resources for individuals who are passionate about the collection and analysis of data. Ultimately, that data is to be used to improve clinical health outcomes for all populations. So our our focus is really on um, educating our members. Membership is free. Uh, We welcome everyone. So it, it really is a forum rooted in and really educating people. Okay. Awesome work. Um, is the organization ran locally or do you guys have any virtual 
attendees or people that are on the board or participate with this organization? Yes, our board members, um, we have, there are a total of uh, five board members and our board members are, most of us are based in New York and we also have a, a board member in Philadelphia. Um, but we really are a virtual organization. So we, we're based in New York or founded in New York, but we have members um, who are based throughout the country. And every month um, I host a free webinar for our membership. And that's really where we try to disseminate information also in our, on our LinkedIn page and on our website. But yeah, we're virtual. Um, it doesn't matter you know, where you live. Everyone is welcome, regardless of geography. And we've, you know, kind of taken advantage of the technology and, you know, really taken advantage of that. And even our monthly webinars, there are times when people can't attend. It doesn't matter. We always record the webinars and, and um, make the, the recording and the, the handout materials available to our membership. So we're definitely in touch with the, the virtual world that we live in. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, when I think medical coding, uh, no offense, I think of just like something kind of behind the scenes, you know, not really um, out there doing much research. So how, what kind of like made you get more into, you know, the research aspect of it? Well, really for me, um, I noticed probably about two or three years ago, um, our coding system, our International Classification of Diseases code coding system changed back in 2015. And with that new iteration, the ICD-10 version, um, we ended up with a number of what are called social information codes or codes that would be considered social determinants of health codes. And as a medical coding consultant, I found that a lot of my clients weren't really reporting those codes. Uh, a lot of it was tied to, you know, staff not having time, you know, coders have productivity standards and clinicians don't really have the time to document a lot of social information because they're trying to document the clinical information to save lives. But um, so I really found myself becoming passionate about those, you know, social information or social determinants of health codes. And I really started to kind of gravitate professionally towards that, um, that group of codes and trying to help clinicians improve their documentation there and also trying to help um, with, a, with a larger group that's based in California to really standardize the codes that we have and to create additional codes. But because really I've accepted the fact that um, no change is really going to happen without data. You need data to even get policymakers to listen to you. Um, critical that the documentation is there and then it's coded and that information is analyzed and then shared. Um, so it's it's just the nature of the beast. You need data and data analytics now to, to drive change. For sure. No, I, t I totally can, uh, can understand that. Yeah. And, and that's so true. I feel like research is really driving um, our daily lives and predicting what the future uh, may be. You know, if we think of the, the COVID vaccine and the research that that went into that, but also for various medications and diets and um, yes. life ex life expectancy. There's so much good that data has in place in predicting our life and making sure that we have a healthy life. Um, so speaking of data, I did want to talk about healthy people. And if there's someone out there that doesn't know 
what that is, is I feel like if you you work in public health or any type of health thing, it's uh, it's a common thing that you refer to. I refer to it a lot during my graduate program. Um, but it's an initiative by the government, and I believe it comes out every 10 years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and it's intended to increase public awareness and understanding about the determinants of health, disease, um, and disability. And it also talks about the opportunities for progress. So going back to what I just said about how data uh, can do that. So let's talk about the Healthy People 2030 Nutrition and Healthy Eating Objectives. Um, So I did notice the first one uh, that stood out to me was to reduce household food insecurity and hunger. Um, That was an objective. And it looks like, and the, the website, and they probably have an imprint too, it'll let you know what progress we're making towards those goals. And it looks like we're still at the baseline um, as far as the amount of households that are not sure where their next meal is going to come from. Correct. Yeah. Um, so it's a serious problem. And a, a lot of those, uh, I, I'll include myself, people who are privileged are not really, I, it's something that I'm interested in and I've worked with those communities before, but day to day is something sometimes that I can forget about. Um, that there are th- those people that don't have access to food on a regular basis or safe food or or even healthy foods. And I know Angela and I discussed in that previous episode of Cause of Death, Your Zip Code, how it can be even hard for people to get transportation to go to a grocery store mm-hmm. or a store that has food that is safe, uh, healthy, and affordable. Yes. And I do remember when we were talking about food deserts that the the USDA indicates that food food deserts are area where poverty levels of it are at least at twenty percent, and thirty three percent of the population lives over a mile from the nearest supermarket. And where I live, I see supermarkets all the time around mm-hmm. me. So it can be something that I'm just you know blindly like not aware of and I don't think other people are um so that was an objective that stood out to me uh Lolita what do you think about the uh nutrition and healthy eating objectives well definitely uh, um many of the of the I'm fascinated with with the overall goal for healthy people 2030 in terms of nutrition and healthy eating which is to improve health by promoting healthy eating and making nutritious um, foods available. But in terms of some of the objectives that have been set to meet those goals, um, there's one like increasing um, fruit consumption um, by people aged two years and over, um, increasing vegetable consumption, uh, again, by people ages um, two and over, increasing the consumption of dark green vegetables, red and orange vegetables, beans, um, whole grain consumption, uh, I really love the way the objectives are, um, they really drill down. They're very detailed, uh, reducing the consumption of, of sodium. So I, I like the fact that with the objectives, they really, really 
um, drill down um, to really get at, you know, what's what they need to do in order to uh, achieve this overall goal. And there's also, um, we should not be surprised, a an objective regarding reducing um, cholesterol in, in adults. So yeah. those yeah. objectives all scream healthy foods, healthy foods, healthy foods. <laughs> right. <laughs> Does your, so does your data sort of help to drive these healthy eating objectives? Well, actually, what the beautiful thing about our association is um, because everyone is welcome, we have people from multiple disciplines. So there are people who are collecting data uh, from different, you know, populations, different areas. But what I've noticed is um, with a lot of the healthcare facilities, which is what I deal with most often, so many of them still are not capturing the ICD-10 CM codes regarding um, hunger and food. That being said, um, there is a group called the Gravity Project that I volunteer with and hundreds of people volunteer with that group. Um, we were successful in getting some new food and security codes approved and those went into effect on October 1st of this year. Oh, awesome. We have now have two new food and security codes that that's going to help with the data going forward. Um, because up to this point, um, we really just did not have those types of codes. That being said, there are some taxonomies that are being used. For example, the Los Angeles 211 taxonomy, um, which captures a lot of um, social needs and community-based needs data. That's been around for a number of decades and they have always um, drilled down and captured that information at a more granular level. But at least now, as of October 1st, um, in terms of ICD-10, we do have some new food and security codes. So I think our data is going to look a lot better. Okay. Yeah. What do you think um, holds holds physicians back from um, using those codes? Do you think it's um, it's because of like reduced time? They don't have much time with the client to really get like a good overall, you know, sense of well-being or do you think that it's because it's such a sensitive topic that maybe they're just kind of like, you know, loosely going over it or what what do you, what are your opinions? What I what I found from over hundreds of hours of um attending various social determinants of health um conferences presentations. It's a combination of things. Um, it's people, um, patients trusting their clinicians enough to say <clears throat> or to respond and to be honest when they're given a survey, either um, you know a manual survey or a kiosk, or they're they're asked face to face, are you food insecure? Are you hungry? Or there's you know when they're asked, there, there's a comfort that needs to be there in order for you to be that vulnerable with a person. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And let's face it, that can be hard to do with a clinician you may not see, but once a year or if that, if it's someone you're just seeing because you happen to be at that place for care. But it also is time. I think many of us know now if you're in a physician's office for more than 15 minutes, that's a lengthy visit. Right. Um, and, but I, I do like the fact that a lot of healthcare practitioners are now starting to employ um, community health workers because they understand that they need to have staff dedicated to getting that information from patients and then um, putting a treatment plan in place, even if it's just to connect them with people in the community and organizations that can help them. But I think it's a combination of time um, and just, you know, again, 
patients feeling um, comfort and wanting to know that if I answer honestly, that you're actually going to try to help me. And you're not just, for lack of a better word, trying to get into my business and, and being nosy. But I think I think COVID will help there because I think there are a lot of a lot more people now have empathy for hunger and homelessness because so many people were plunged into that in the blink of an eye when everything shut down. I do think the climate will, is a lot better now and there's more empathy, which which I think will help us in the long run. I hope so. Yeah, I hope you're right. But that's definitely, that's a good um, point that you made. I mean, this year was really hard on a lot of people. And I don't know, I mean, Delitra, uh, I don't know if you remember in school, uh, the healthy objectives that we had. Um, <laughs> I know it seemed like it was like 30 years ago now. It was so long ago. <laughs> but yeah, I was looking at, at the list of stuff that they like cover and I was actually really surprised to see a lot of a lot more stuff on there. Environmental health, like mm-hmm. that's something that like I never we never discussed in college. So I'm I'm like, wow, that's great that that's on there now. And um, yes. even I saw like uh, violence prevention, like things that vaccination, mm-hmm. things that like we didn't talk about. So I mean, it's a good thing it changes every ten years. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And it's good to see, you know, if we're making any progress towards the goals that we have and if we're not, like what is happening to make sure that we are making some progress. And it's hard because, you know, Lolita, those objectives that you mentioned, being a dietitian, nutritionist, you know, in the healthcare field, we know like we should be eating our fruits and vegetables, whole grains. Uh, I think it also talked about eating more calcium rich foods. Uh, having a variety of produce, that's some stuff that we kind of talk to our patients about all day long, yet mm-hmm. we are still having issues with uh, individuals getting enough of those items. Um, so it's really great to know that that piece that you're talking about, that more uh, doctors or offices are doing more screening for food insecurity um, and that there's more compassion there and it's good to know that there's some task force behind um, the wall of some sort working towards uh, making progress to make us healthier and to live in healthier communities with healthy eating and like Angela was mentioning um, healthy environments. So I did uh, mention in the introduction that we were going to talk about the project that I have been working with you on yeah so as the they'll see for the podcast title it's uh high nutrition low cost recipes um lolita came to me with a project request to uh, identify some items from convenience stores or dollar stores uh many of the stores that those individuals who live in food deserts have access to more, more often, more frequently than a grocery store, especially if you don't have transportation to get to the grocery store. Um, and I developed the seven, uh, seven recipes. Some are dinners, some are lunches. Uh, there's also some breakfast items of healthy meals that you can prepare using inexpensive foods. So uh, I did go to my local dollar stores to see uh, what was an inventory. And I was really surprised at the progress that we've made 
since I've went to the dollar store many years ago. Um, There are some more healthy options, but there is still more work that needs to be done for sure. Um, So just a a quick overview of some of the recipes that uh, we do have that I did develop um, some meals that are cholesterol friendly. I know you mentioned one of the objectives was for adults to, I think it was to lower their cholesterol. Yes. Yes. Reduce uh, cholesterol in adults. So I have some cholesterol friendly meals, some um, high blood pressure, hypertension friendly meals, diabetic friendly meals, very easy recipes that you can get done pretty quickly because nobody wants to be over the stove <laughs> for hours. Right. And so uh, yeah, and a lot of individuals, I think there's a misconception that low income uh, individuals most likely do not work and they're just sitting at home getting benefits. But a lot of low income workers have jobs and they yes. work and they, they're not getting give given a, a livable wage, multiple they have jobs, children, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. multiple jobs, and still it's hard for them to, to make ends meet. Um, they have a family that they have to take care of. So um, I, I'll select that the recipes, they're not too, too laborious. Um, did you have anything to add about that project, Lolita? No, just that, um, again, there's seven recipes. Um, for each recipe, and the, the print size is very large, and I, I know you'll you'll tell them how to download the recipes or where they can find them. Print size is very large, so we're we're sensitive to people who don't want to you know squint and, and look at recipes. So I think they'll find that they're very easy on the eyes. We indicate, um, as you said, w- which ones are cholesterol friendly, hypertension friendly, diabetes friendly, and also. Um, not only indicate, you know, what needs to be purchased, but instructions on how to prepare the meals. All of them, again, very easy. There's variety. And there's also information about, you know, the number of people that can be fed with with the serving sizes that are provided in the recipes. But um, no other, what I really want to say is share it with anyone and everyone. Um, This really is something that we want um, everyone to, to have access to. Um, because you're right, the dollar stores have come a long way, the convenience stores. And um, I think uh, with a little bit of effort, um, it, it can be done. You can prepare a healthy meal. I, I believe in meeting people where there are. You may, it, you know, we don't know how long it's going to take to put grocery stores or cooperative grocery stores in the communities that are now considered to be food deserts. People still need to eat while policymakers figure all of that out. So this is a way yeah. where you can you can purchase the items again, at a dollar store, convenience store, whatever is near you. Right. Affordable. I tried to make it balanced. We include some some healthy canned options, frozen and fresh, but also the the option um, if you don't have access to some fresh produce. uh, All the meals are vegetarian. As Lolita mentioned that some individuals may not have the access to meat, to fresh meat. Um, so if you're a vegetarian, even better. And you, like we just mentioned with our objectives, you need to eat more plants. <laughs> so, <Yes>. uh, <laughs> so this is a, a great resource, taking out some of the guesswork as to what you're going to have for, for dinner tonight. Um, I'm going to include the, the link that you sent me where they can access 
these recipes. Um, I know it's P, uh, I'm going to put it in, in the show notes, but phaai.org slash news. Um, and that's where you can access all the recipes to create all these great meals. First of yeah. all, kudos to both of you. I love the collaboration. That's that's awesome that you're able to create those recipes, Delitra. Yeah. I guess my Thank last you. question for Lolita would be that, um, so, you know, you've, you've co-founded this awesome company. You're getting people to start coding more correctly. Where do you go next? What happens when we start to see people actually doing these codes and you're, you're seeing some good data? What, what's the next thing that you focus on? Well, I am, um, there is a, um, there's a new caucus in Washington, bipartisan, go figure, <laughs> called the um, Congressional Caucus on Social Determinants of Health. Um, they were just formed a couple of months ago. And they've, they're actually in the um, process of accepting comments from the public about, um, you know, what initiatives can they, can they um, pursue in order to improve, you know, the health in our, in our country. So I, I spent a lot of time um, responding and providing feedback there, but I really would like to just continue providing um, information and recommendations that are outside of the box. Um, I've always been that kind of person, like think outside the box. And one thing about COVID, there are some good things that have come out of COVID, but I think a lot of people quickly realized how they had to think outside of the box in order to survive. I don't think there's there will be as much pushback going forward when policymakers hear about some innovations that are out there. One quick example is virtual health, healthcare system in New Jersey. They purchased um, a former city transit bus and converted it into a mobile grocery store. And they go into uh, you know communities that are food deserts at least once a month, and people in those communities can come onto the the converted bus that's now a mobile grocery store and purchase groceries at cost or below cost. And they received a, a, a I think it's a four or five million dollar grant um, that they'll be using for years. So I think. Uh, we're really getting ready to see people thinking outside of the box. And I just want to share that information and data and those ideas with, with everyone. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't even know about that. That's cool. And thank you for all the work you do. Yeah, that's great. It's nice to meet people that are kind of behind the scenes that we don't really think about when it comes to like our health, you know? Yes. And I think if nothing else in the last two years, we've all appreciate um, good health a little bit more than we did maybe yes. before 2020. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, I definitely do. I don't take it as as much for granted anymore. So yes. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Delitra, you have anything else? No, um, I'm so appreciative uh, to collaborate on this project and to have Lolita on the podcast. So we can get that good information out there and to learn more about, you know, professions that we don't hear about on an everyday basis. For sure. Yeah. We want to say thank you for tuning in to another episode of Nutrient Sisters. We hope that you enjoyed this episode with our special guest, Ms. Lolita Jones. It was a pleasure having you, Lolita, and we appreciate the wisdom and knowledge that you dropped on us and our followers tonight. <laughs> If you haven't listened to our podcast before, what are you waiting for? 
We are available on all popular platforms like Spotify, YouTube, and Apple. And make sure to subscribe so that you can stay up to date with our latest episodes. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoy your day.